This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Whether you want to place a trade on Twitter or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your favorite platforms and devices. See what's new at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. It's Thursday, September 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's the brand new host of Monday's <laughs> Industry Focus. It's Jason Moser. Well, hello there. Good to see you. You know, you rattle off that ad spot at the beginning and your hosting duties, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I never took your job for granted ever before, <laughs> but, but this past Monday, it was a little bit different sitting on that side of the table. It, it was a little bit different. I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous. It was, it was, it was different. You're off to a great start. Well, thanks. Don't I appreciate you worry. It. I'm excited to be able to do it. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to check in on General Electric. We got to start, though, with Darden Restaurants, which is the parent company of Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Capital Grill, Cheddar's. Still haven't been to a Cheddar's. Uh, first <laughs> Apparently, a lot of people haven't. <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah, let's start with the same store sale. I mean, so here's the thing. First quarter profits higher than expected. Overall for Darden, this was a really good quarter. Same store sales across their restaurant group was 3.3%, which is not a huge number, but that's a good number and it's certainly higher than was expected. So, we see the stock dropping a little bit, but Darden's had a heck of a last twelve months. Yeah, and I mean they're having a good year this year as well. And I think these were you hit it, you hit the nail on the head there. They were very respectable results for for what is a very competitive space. And I think it's even tougher now, given the the growth in quick service restaurants, the growth in fast casual. Uh, the the competitive landscape for these guys it's more competitive than ever and so I think that of course we every quarter we talk about Darden and Olive Garden is what steers the ship that's that's their crown jewel so to speak comps were up five point three percent there I think they market that concept really well uh, they they recognize their sixteenth consecutive quarter of comps growth in Olive Garden uh, restaurants it was interesting to hear uh, the CEO talk about the prospects of delivery uh, they're not really on board yet with delivery from from concepts like Olive Garden. They don't think the economics quite makes sense for their customer uh, demographic. Uh, but on the flip side of the coin, you know, Cheddar's is one that is still the jury, I guess, is still out there. It's proving to be a bit of a drag, and I'm still actually not sold on on that investment. It was not a cheap acquisition at around 780 million dollars. Total sales for Cheddar's grew 6.5. But that was really due to opening new stores. It wasn't due to traffic, and that's a problem. And then when you think about that, then you have to ask yourself the question: Well, how many of these cheddar stores are they going to plan on opening? Because if you're having trouble ginning up traffic, well, opening new stores isn't the answer. That just gets more expensive over time. And those are mostly company-operated stores uh, there anyway. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think you can see the consolidation in the space making sense. You see companies like Yum uh, Brands, restaurant brands, Darden. I think you see Cava and Zoe's getting together. It does seem like consolidation is is a way to to really compete more effectively in this space, and I think Darden uh, continues to benefit from that quarter in quarter out. The Cheddar's acquisition really is questionable in this regard. You look over the last five plus years with Darden restaurants. One of the things that they have been effective at is focusing on the flagship brand of Olive Garden. They Sold off Red Lobster. Yeah. I think it was two billion and change, like maybe something two point like two billion, something like that. And part of the rationale there was, look, we want to focus on Olive Garden, that sort of thing. 
obviously they bought cheddars for far less money than they got for Red Lobster, but as you said, it was not a cheap acquisition. And you look at this quarter, you break out the comps by restaurant, and across the board, it's 3.3%. As you said, leading the way, we've got Olive Garden, 5.3%. Cheddar's comps were negative 4%. Yeah. I mean, that was really, really a drag. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is I wonder how much, I wonder how much brand awareness is out there for Cheddar's. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have never. Seen or heard an ad for Cheddar's ever that I can recall, um, so that that potentially is a problem. I mean, they they do a really good job in marketing their key concepts: Longhorn Steakhouse, Olive Garden. You see good marketing campaigns centered around those businesses, and that makes sense. I mean, those are the two biggest uh, names in the portfolio. But if they want Cheddar, if they want that acquisition to prove out. I think they're going to have to do a little bit of a better job of creating some brand awareness, marketing that out there a little bit, because right now I just don't think the customer awareness is quite there. And, and frankly, I mean, I, I can't even tell you what they serve or what kind of demographic they're they're aiming for. I mean, I guess Cheddar Scratch Biscuits tells you a little bit about it, but you know, there are a lot of biscuit places out there, Chris. And, and you know, maybe listen, I make some really good biscuits at home, so I don't even know why I got to go to Cheddar's. Really, I'm not going to go to Cheddar's. I'm going to make my biscuits at home. I, it will be interesting to see. So, when we had recently the uh, acquisition of Zoe's Kitchen, yep, and we talked about on Motley Fool Money at the time. Look, you look at Kava and the success that Kava has had. You look at the acquisition they make of Zoe's Kitchen. There's no way they're not converting some of those locations over to Kava. And I'm wondering if we're going to see over the next couple of years, to some small degree, some of these Cheddar's locations get flipped, whether it's to an Olive Garden or to you know some of the smaller brands, Bahama Breeze, etc. It's certainly a possibility. Um, it's hard to say. I wonder if does Cheddar's maybe compete against like the Cracker Barrel demographic? I don't know. I mean, Probably. it's really difficult to say. But but I think that is always an out they have if they decide that concept just isn't working out. Uh, they have some other proven concepts in the portfolio that they could uh, certainly shift over to. Shares of General Electric are down again today. This time on an analyst downgrade, and this was not the typical. Well, we think we feel a kind of downgrade. This was specifically about concerns in GE's power division, a gas turbine launch that looks like it's going to have a negative effect on earnings, at least in the next quarter, probably the next couple of quarters. Yeah, it's distinctly possible. I mean, I think if you're an owner of GE shares today, then you need to take CEO John Flannery's language very seriously when he says that they are on a multi-year transformational journey. In English, he's saying you better pack a lunch because it's going to be a while. And I, and I, I think we've kind of come to that. Uh, we've come to accept that based on on how many moving parts are still involved with this business, and they're trying to shed certain assets and and refocus and get the business back around its core in aviation. Power and renewables, and I like that move. I think that's the right strategy. The downside to that is, though, when you run into trouble in any one of those core segments, it really has a material impact on the business. And I and I think we may see something like that play out here, um, if if there are indeed troubles with the turbine blades that were discovered uh, from I think it's a customer from Exelon, I believe, is the power company. Um, Flannery noted on the most recent call that the biggest challenge the company faces right now continues to be the turnaround of the power business. I think that tells us a lot 
the core of the business is still. Uh, I don't want to say in trouble, but it sure is close, and it requires a lot of working capital to operate. So you look at their balance sheet today, and to call it challenged is really an understatement. So I I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be an investor in GE, you you truly have to take a long term outlook here. Understand that it's going to be three years before we see any real material progress. I actually think that Flannery can do it. I think that he's probably the Alan Mulally for GE, and I think if anybody can get this taken care of, he can. And he's proven uh, he's not scared to go in there and shake things up. And we've seen him already shed a lot of assets in order to try to streamline this business and just get back to focusing on what they're really good at. But it's going to be a bumpy ride. Give him credit for being as clear as he can possibly be. He's done that throughout 2018. Yeah, just he's just been very clear. Like, look. This is what's going on. This is how long it's going to take. You can get on board if you want, but as you said, pack a lunch. Yeah, and I mean that—that's just such a big advantage for investors. I mean, he is very transparent. You know what you're getting into. I feel like he's a no BS kind of guy. I mean, he speaks to analysts very, very frankly on the calls. I mean, he he gets out in front of things, and I think that's that's a real uh, that's a real strength that they're going to be able to benefit from in the coming years if they're going to get this business turned around. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Evan Machete, who writes, What do you know about Elanco Animal Health and this week's public offering? The company is seemingly a dynamite fit for Jason Moser's healthcare and wealthcare space. I don't usually invest in IPOs, but is this company worth watching over the next few months? They certainly had a great IPO. This was a company, Elanco Animal Health, was spun out of Eli Lilly. And kudos to them because they, I think they raised the range of the stock going into the IPO. They bumped it up to twenty four dollars a share, and uh, it took off like a rocket. Yeah, you can be forgiven if you thought Elonco was perhaps uh, yet another venture of Elon Musk's that was just <laughs> taking him into another direction altogether. If you like SpaceX yeah. <laughs> and if you like flamethrowers. <clears throat> Wait till you check out our animal health line. Yeah. Um, it, first and foremost, I, I, I'm pretty consistent with my general feelings when it comes to IPOs. I think you need to wait and watch. I think you need to give it a couple of quarters so you can assess what you're dealing with in regard to the business, in regard to management. And, and given everything I've learned about Elanco, I'm going to stick with my guns on that one there. That said, I do think it is a very interesting company given what it does. Um, and, and what do they do? Uh, they are in the business of of animal uh, animal vaccinations, you know, animal health, whether it's companion animals or or farm and food animals, uh, they are producing a lot of the vaccinations and uh, nutritional supplements and whatnot for for uh, that space. And it is a very big market opportunity as well. I think um, you look at it all together; it's somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty five billion dollars. It's not insignificant. It's an attractive market in that it's very resilient, uh, high barriers to entry. And and I think uh, they stand a chance to do very well given their background as a as a uh, part of Eli Lilly for so long. Now, with that said, there is tremendous competition out there. And if we look at Elanco today, uh, most recent uh, 2017 revenues I think came in around 2.9 billion dollars. Now, Zoetis, which is is another company out there in the same market Edis? here. 
Zoetis. Zoetis. Yeah, Zoetis is uh, they're in the same market there, uh, bringing in basically about double the top line that Elanco is, and it's a much much bigger company, and so they have, of course, more resources. Now that's not to say that Elanco can't be successful. I think they can. It reminds me a lot of a company I covered a while back called MWI Veterinary Supply, um, and that that was a business that was. In very much sort of a similar similar line of work, and they they were acquired by Amerisource Bergen not all that long ago um, at a premium, and I think a lot of that was because of the market dynamics. It's just a very attractive market, but I think one thing to keep an eye on with this company is going to be how much they continue to devote to research and development, because that's really how these businesses remain relevant. Uh, I, yeah, I look at a company like IDEX Laboratories, for example, which is, is a stock I own. I recently purchased it, but they're in the business of the, the testing equipment and diagnostic supplies for veterinarians and the companion animal group. Uh, so, not a competitor, really, with Elanco, but you can see with IDEX, they, they consistently devote a lot of their revenue, uh, a significant percentage of their revenue every year, to, to research and development to continue to advance and bring new products to the field. And I think as long as Elanco uh, does that? I think if we can look at that that R and D line and see that they are investing in the business, they stand to do well. Uh, but it is a brand new IPO. You have to recognize Eli Lilly, Eli Lilly is still going to hold a lot of control of this business, at least in, in in the initial stages of its existence as a publicly traded company. Uh, but but yeah, there's definitely something there. I mean, I, I could see why this company would do well. It's a very attractive market. Quick shout out to TD Ameritrade for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. And if you don't think you're on the cutting edge of technology, you now you are. And I think anyone who listens to a podcast in this day and age, we're still, podcast listeners, we're still in the minority in terms of media consumption. So, yeah, pat yourself on the back. You're on the cutting edge of technology. And TD Ameritrade's latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms that you carry and use every day. Now, all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa or message them on Facebook. You can do either of those things to stay on top of the markets. And you can learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com innovation. Before we wrap up, a reminder that we are hiring here at The Motley Fool all kinds of jobs. Uh, we're good on podcast hosts for the moment, <laughs> unless I have. I actually have a meeting with my manager later, so maybe. I think knows? you're okay. Uh, I think you're okay. But, but a lot of jobs posted at careers.fool.com, so check that out. Uh, this week, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier. Uh, this week on Motley Fool Money, our guest is Ashley Vance from Bloomberg. Uh, talked to Ashley. Taped an interview yesterday with uh, with Ashley. Uh, Talking a lot about uh, Elon Musk because Ashley Vance literally wrote the book on Elon Musk. A great read. A great read. Uh, Last but not least, on industry focus, uh, tomorrow, Friday, the technology episode, Dylan Lewis. Uh, it's going to be talking about wearables, among other things. Uh, you got a sneak preview from Monday's episode of Industry Focus? Yeah, I think um, so. I'm having a lot of fun trying to put together some new things to try and whatnot. Um, we'll always be doing sort of a stock on a radar thing, like it's still a little bit from Motley Fool Money, we call that one to watch. Uh, but I think that we are going to discuss uh, Facebook's relationship with banks, the, the relationship they've been trying to, to forge, and haven't seemed to really do such a good job at this point. We're going to talk a little bit about Amazon and their attempted entry into the banking market as well through their Prime membership, which we know pretty much dictates everything they do, 
And uh, as always, taking some questions from Twitter, email, and whatnot. Uh, I'm joined every week with Matt Frank, a least certified financial planner. Uh, he's down in South Carolina, so he calls in, and we have a good conversation. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's what we're thinking about hitting on Monday. How's he doing down there in South Carolina? Uh, thankfully, he was okay. He's in Columbia, and so they they avoided the worst of of the flooding and whatnot. But uh, it, it was you know scary time for a lot of people down there for sure. Big cleanup, and it's going to take a long time. Yeah, hang in there, Carolina. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.